Thanks, Malcolm. All right. Tom's been preaching from down here lately, but I am much shorter than him. So I fear you won't see me. Um, <laughs> so I'll stand up here. Uh, well, like I said, my name is Dana, and um, I have been at the church for six months now, and Tom finally decided it was time to let me plan a whole sermon series on my own. Yeah, I know. Get excited. Right, exactly. He asked me to plan something that would take about three weeks while he was on vacation. It kind of covers that gap, and I tried really hard to do that. So I went away, and I thought about it, and I said, okay, I think I'm going to try and do something from Second Timothy. I love that book, and I want to preach about coming to maturity in faith. And he said, great, that's a great idea. And three days later, I came back into his office, and I said, I can't, I can't do it from Second Timothy. It's not going to work. It's... Um, it, I can't do what I thought I could do, but I think I can do it from Ephesians. So I'm going to preach from Ephesians. Is that okay? Yeah, he said, that's fine. Okay. So three days later, I came back into his office, and I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do it in three weeks. I, I can't preach Ephesians in three weeks. I could do Ephesians in like, like maybe I could do Ephesians in 12 weeks. How about that? And to be totally honest, I thought Tom was just going to say, no, that's crazy. Twelve weeks is way too long. But he kind of sat there quietly for a second and he said, um, do you think we could stretch it out a little bit so it takes the whole summer? <laughs> I was like, you don't think that's too long? He said, uh, Revelation was eight months. <laughs> so friends, welcome to your summer sermon series. <laughs> Through this whole summer, we're going to be digging into the book of Ephesians. Uh, together, and most weeks we're going to look at a particular passage of scripture, and then because we're trying to stretch it out a little bit, some weeks, and I think this is a good idea, some weeks we're going to uh, step outside of the text and dig deeper into some kind of topic that has come up out of it. So I think that's going to be really fun, and there are three things that I want to tell you, I want you to know as we're getting started in the summer series. The first one is Ephesians is wordy and complicated. It's a terribly uh, frustrating book to read. When you read it, you just feel like, Paul, who is the author, Paul, are you kidding me? Could you just have a straightforward sentence with a period at the end? But he doesn't. It's all these long, curving sentences. I've never seen anyone use so many semicolons. It's a very complicated book. Second thing that I want you to know is that because Ephesians is so wordy and complicated, I have a gift for you in the summer series, and it is a booklet. I know, get excited. So Bob and Marg, if you guys want to, Bob and Marg are going to come up and down the aisles, and they're going to give you an Ephesians booklet. Yeah. Thank you, Sherry. That's right. Woohoo. This is very exciting, friends. Okay, I want to tell you about the booklet as you're getting it. It's not, it's not super complicated, although, has anyone ever tried to print a booklet format on pa- Holy, is it ever complicated to do that. Like, anyway, whatever, it doesn't matter. Basically, every week when you come, the passage that we're looking at will be on one side, and there's just a blank piece of paper for you on the other side. We thought about lines, so if you're a person who likes to write in neat rows, I really apologize. But the challenge with Ephesians is that Sometimes there are big concepts, and I'm not doing it this week, but some weeks we might draw some things on some paper. So there's going to be notes that you'll want to take, but there also might be pictures that you want to draw and diagrams that you want to make, and I think that'll be helpful. 
everybody who's going to be here for the next few weeks needs a booklet. Now, here's the thing. I have met people before, and I have a concern about the booklets, which is that you are going to take this home and drop it on your counter under your bed and never think about it again. So I have a solution. What I'd like you to do is write your name on your booklet, and then I'd like you to drop it in your mail folder by the door. Okay, most families have a mail folder. If you don't have one, you can get one, but for now you can just use your friends. Just drop it in your mail folder so that it's there for you next week. If you think you can remember to bring it, go ahead and try, but my guess is we'll appreciate the mail folders. Anyway, I think this is going to be fun for us. There are pens in the back of the seat pockets, but if you need a pen, Bob and Mark have one. You can just wave your hand around. All right, here's the third thing I want you to know as you're getting used to the booklets. You might wonder, when it's such a complicated book, why is this the one that I chose? Well, here's the thing. We need to hear this message. I really believe that the text in Ephesians is addressing many of the core questions that we're asking in general as believers and then also specifically here at Erickson Covenant Church. Over the past few months, as people have been filtering in and out of my office and my home, there are some themes that keep coming up in the conversations and questions. So if these sound like you, they might be, but they're probably also like six other people. Don't worry. Um, People are asking things like, who am I, right? What am I actually here for? And how do I make a difference in the world? And they're asking, does it really matter, actually, if I come to church on Sunday morning? I mean, If it's really about just knowing God and loving Jesus, I can do that at home. And they're asking, "Um, what is God really doing? Because it seems like the world is kind of falling apart. And they're asking, why can't I find community? Like, I am so lonely and isolated. How does community actually happen? Well, I think Ephesians can help us answer some of those questions. Now, I mean, no piece of scripture, no piece of scripture can ever give a clean, simple answer to an enormously complex question like, what am I here for? Right? That would be nice, but it's a bit of a high call. Um, Instead, what we're going to do is study and learn together, and we're going to really work hard, like lean into understanding what the scripture says. And over time, we build together this framework. We start to put pieces together together. And we build a framework for understanding what's going on. That's called a worldview. We're building a worldview. And that's what Ephesians is going to offer us, a way to look at the world through the lens of Scripture. So Ephesians, as a book, a letter, it was a letter, and it's written by a guy named Paul who has a great story. Paul actually started out his life killing Christians. He was a committed Jew, and he felt like the emergence of Christianity was threatening the Jewish faith. And so he spent all of his time tracking down new Christians and slaughtering them. But then Jesus met Paul. I mean, that's a great story. You can read that in the book of Acts. But then Jesus meets Paul on the road one day while Paul is is on his way to find some other Christians. And he he just meets him on the road in this bright light, and he strikes Paul blind and has a conversation with him 
and Paul becomes a believer himself. He becomes a Christian. And in fact, over time, he becomes one of the leaders of the early church, and he plants dozens, if not hundreds, of churches all across the known world. And he wrote constantly. I mean, there wasn't like Facebook or social media. There was no blogging back then. But if there was, Paul would have been like Tom Greentree on Instagram, right? Like all the time. He's just always on there. (laughs) Uh, I hope Tom listens to the podcast. Okay. Um, He wrote all the time to encourage the Christians, encourage the churches that he loved, to give them counsel, give them advice. And he had a lot of time to write because unlike Tom, he was often in prison. Like, he keeps getting, yeah, that's right, that one took a little longer. Okay, are we allowed to laugh at it? I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. Um, he keeps getting arrested because he's preaching the gospel in these areas that are really not open to the gospel. And so he gets thrown in prison, and while he's there, he passes the time preaching the gospel to the guards and the other prisoners, but also writing to the churches that he loves. And that's where most of the letters in the New Testament come from. Now, this particular letter, Ephesians, is kind of unique among the letters because normally Paul is writing to a specific church, a very specific congregation. Like he would write, perhaps, to the believers at the Covenant Church in Creston, B.C., and then the letter would probably include things about how nice the new paint in our sanctuary looks and reminding us to, like, remember why it was that we decided to move to two services and encouraging us to get to know the people who are worshiping with us but come from different faith backgrounds. Because that's what's going on in our congregation. And so Paul would write to our specific circumstance. But this letter is different. Ephesians is not written to a particular congregation. It's, um, it's much more general. There's no reference to any particular people or problem. And so we think that Ephesians was written to be a circular letter, which is a letter that you would circulate among all of the churches on this route that Paul's friend was walking. So I think his friend Tychicus was walking along, and he would, any church he was at, he would read that letter. He would go and bring a word to the believers. And that's important for us because while some of the letters are specific to a context in a church and not everything relates to us, Ephesians was particularly designed to matter and be relevant to any church body, including ours. So it really is, we can really understand Ephesians as being written for us today. Man, the churches who were receiving and reading the letters of the letter of Ephesians, they needed encouragement. Let's just consider this for a second. Ephesians was written in 60 AD, which is like 27-ish years after the death of Jesus. So the, the most mature believers, the people who have been Christians the longest possible, have been 27 years. So that's like a church that was founded in 1987 with all brand new Christians at that moment, right? That's as old and mature as any of the churches can possibly be. It's so new. And also, no one has any resources, right? Like the letters being written right now, and so are the Gospels. There is no New Testament yet. 
because the New Testament is still just like a postcard that's going off to the churches. There's nothing. There's no books. There's no online resources. There's no small group, small group curriculum. Nobody has anything. You're just relying on what people remember from Jesus' teaching, on what God reveals in prayer, and your best judgment on how to be the church. So the churches are new. There's no resources, but at least there was tons of persecution. Right, like internally, yeah, and externally. From the outside, the Romans are always persecuting the Christians, so people are literally being killed every day. I mean, every person in that congregation would have lost friends or family um, who had been martyred for their faith. That's a lot of loss and grief and a lot of tension and fear every week. And then internally, within the body, it's complicated. Because the new churches are made up of Jewish and Gentile believers, and those two groups historically do not get along with each other. So the Jews are having a rough time because Jewish believers now are being excommunicated from their synagogue communities and their families for having converted to Christianity. So they're losing their social systems and their family structures because they believe in Jesus. But then they're joining these new churches And instead of extending hospitality, they're just turning on the Gentile believers and sort of shunning them. They're making them feel like second-class Christians because they weren't Jewish first. So these people, man, brand-new Christians, just like you and me, they've heard the gospel, they love Jesus, they want to follow him, but they've been shunned by their families. They're being looked down on in the church community. Their friends are being killed. And the founder of their church is in prison. And everyone is asking, what am I doing here? Is this whole thing really true? What's going to happen? Is it worth what it's costing me? Or should I maybe try to get out while I still can? And that's the context that this letter drops into. And so we're going to read the first page of the letter together, which is the first page in your booklet. I'll read this for you, but you can uh, follow along with me. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we've also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ 
might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. Um, it is a lot of run-on sentences. <laughs> I don't know if it feels that way to you, but I'm like, where are you supposed to breathe when you're reading this out loud? <laughs> Paul is wordy. But what we're going to try to figure out this morning is, in the midst of all the chaos and struggle in these little churches, when Paul thinks about his spiritual children, what are the things that he wants to make sure they know for sure. And so let's notice some things in here together. First of all, I notice that Paul is asking these believers to shift their perspective. So we're going to look at a couple of things. In verse 3, if you can find that in your page, it's later in verse 3, he, he refers to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so Paul is asking them to look up, right? Look up outside of your current circumstance and take in this reality. God has given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Anything you can imagine, you guys. We're talking faith, healing, prayer, insight, prophecy, wisdom, generosity, love, humility, all of it. They're yours. No matter what you feel like today, the reality is you have them. And so Paul says, look up and see that. And then in verse 4, we see this little sentence. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's an incredible statement. You were chosen before even the world was being put together. So he asks them to look way back. Look back and remember that you were destined for this, chosen for this, before the world began. And then in verse 10, we have another sentence, as a plan for the fullness of time. And so he's also asking them to look way far ahead to when time is fulfilled. We can't even really imagine what that means. But he's talking about something that is going to continue until the world as we know it ceases to exist. And so we find that there's this interesting timeline taking shape, right? And you can draw this if you want to in your booklet. There's this little bubble called the here and now, right? And we live here. This is where we live as believers. It's our reality. It's confined by time and space. And it tends to be all that we ever pay attention to. But Paul is asking us as we read this letter to shift our perspective from the here and now bubble way up into the heavenly places, way back before the foundation of the world, and way ahead to the fullness of time. Look up, he says, from your bills, your inbox, your garden, even your garden, your piles of dirty dishes. Look up from your children and your family fights and your job search and your health issues. Look up from the suffering and the loss and the pain and the worry and the fear, look up. Pay attention to the heavenly places. 
It's a cosmic picture that Paul is talking about. It's not like spaceships and aliens, but cosmic in that it takes in all of time and space. He's painting a worldview for us. The second thing I want us to notice together is how much Paul says about our identity as believers. So I'm literally going to just run through the verses. And you can follow. You might want to circle these as we go. This is about our identity as believers. We are, he says, in verse 1, saints. In verse 2, he says we're children of God because he calls it our Father. In verse 3, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. In verse 4, we're holy and blameless. In verse 5, adopted as his children. In verse 7, we are redeemed. And later in verse 7, forgiven. In verse 11, we are heirs. He talks about our inheritance. That makes us heirs. In verse 12, we live for the praise of his glory. In verse 13, we are marked with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 14, we are God's own people. Now, before we dive into all these, I just want to say something about pronouns. You might notice that most of the pronouns, all the pronouns in this, um, in this letter are plural ones. It's all our and us. Even the few times like verse 2 and verse 13 where we see the word you, which might be singular, it's not. It's plural. It's more like y'all than you. And we need to remember that because we now, like actually us here, we are so prone as a culture to think individualistically that we almost always read scripture as though it were intended for just me personally. And even when we read plural pronouns, we hear them as singular. And so we're likely to read in verse 12 that we might live for the praise of his glory and think, yes, I am going to live for the praise of his glory. My life will be that way. Which is nice, but it's not what's written here. He's talking about their collective life, our collective life, being for the praise of God's glory. And it matters because the first one, if it's just my life, well, I can do that at home in my own living room. I don't need anybody else. But the second one, our collective life, requires that we be so much more fully integrated with the people around us. It's messier and it's harder, but it is, in fact, what's written in the scriptures. And so I'll remind us of the pronoun thing every once in a while by using the plural y'all in my sermon because it's easy to recognize and it'll help you laugh. Okay. Um, But understanding that it's written for the collective altogether Isn't this an incredible identity that Paul is describing? I mean, the people who are reading this in 60 AD, they have a lived experience of their identity as believers, right? They knew themselves to be oppressed, to be terrorized and shunned and rejected. And so they would have felt small and afraid. And we, the people who hear this letter in 2017, we also have a lived experience of our identity as believers. We experience ourselves to be stressed out and impatient with our kids and behind on the chores. Right? Or maybe we feel unskilled and frustrated and defeated and embarrassed with our jobs. We experience our bodies to be too tall or too fat or too short, too young or too old. 
And we know ourselves by our illnesses and disabilities, our limitations and lack. And the voice in our head says, you are not enough like a hundred times a day. But that wasn't true for them, and it isn't true for us. We need Paul's words. Listen, my friends, you, all of you together, are saints alongside Paul. And in fact, I know this might feel weird to some of you, but try it with me. I just wonder if you would cl- like, just close your eyes, open up your hands, and listen to these words that Paul says about your identity. Let them settle over you. He says, you together, you are chosen. You are blameless and holy. You are marked with the Holy Spirit. Y'all are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are God's own people. You are forgiven. You are adopted into his family. It's like God is whispering through Paul's letter, kind of like, you can open your eyes now. It's kind of like in The Lion King when Simba is like, you know, he's kind of grown up but he's still young, and the ghost of Mufasa like comes in the clouds and settles over him at night, and he's like, remember who you are. That's really what it sounds like. Okay, um, I don't know if you thought I was Mufasa there for a second, but um, it's striking how close that is. It's like God is whispering through Paul's letter, church, remember who you are. Remember that you are adopted into my family. You are my daughter's. You are my sons. You are the people of the king. And that's the second thing that Paul wants these guys to know for sure. Their identity in Christ. Finally, I don't think there's anything more striking in this text, to me anyway, than the fact that God has a plan Let's just read through this together. Look at these things. In verse 1, we read, it's by the will of God. In verse 4, he chose us. Verse 5, he destined us according to the good pleasure of his will. In verse 8, all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Verse 10, as a plan. Verse 11, destined according to the purpose, according to his counsel and will. It's so many times. It seems like every line we're reminded that God knows what he's doing. Everything that's happening is according to his purpose and will. God is in control. That would be incredibly reassuring for people who are terrified and fractured and questioning their faith. Especially when the words are coming from Paul while he's in prison. Even though he's been arrested, Paul is not confused. He trusts God, trusts that plan. How many times have we asked ourselves, what is God doing? What can he possibly be doing? When we read about bombings, about teenagers being killed, about people starving, about incredible generations-long injustices in our own country, How often do we just close our eyes and ask ourselves, God, really? What are you doing? 
Paul's answer is extremely clear. God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. And it's right here in the middle. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 together. Let me see. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. It's right here. To gather up all things in him, things on earth, and oh, things in heaven and things on earth. It's a kind of an extreme setup. He says he's revealed the mystery of his will to us. And that this is the plan that he set forth for the fullness of time. So this is the thing, in other words, that God has been doing, is doing, will be doing for the duration of time as we know it. And he's revealing it to us. And here it is. The plan is to gather up all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. The ultimate cosmic plan that God has for the whole world for all time that he's, is that he's going to gather up all things in Christ. He's going to gather up all people, all relationships, all environments, all countries, all hopes and dreams and destinies. They will all be gathered together in Christ. Now, for the past few weeks, Tom has been teaching us about how we reflect the image of God to the world. And last week he brought an excellent message out of Genesis 3 about how things went so deeply wrong. Because in Genesis 3, this serpent comes in to the garden and tells the people, the people who have up until that point been living in perfect harmony with creation, with one another, and with God, the serpent tells them if they eat from a particular tree, their eyes will be opened and they'll become gods themselves. And so they eat it. Of course they do. And their eyes are opened. But here's the thing. Eating a piece of fruit isn't magic. And it can't turn a creature, can't turn a creature into a creator. And it certainly does not turn those two people into gods. So they expect to eat this fruit and be like God, but then they eat it and they find out they're just themselves. And being themselves was totally fine before. In fact, it was so completely glorious that they were dancing naked and writing poetry. That's what's going on in that garden. It was a good time. It's okay if you laugh at that. Um, But now it's different. They thought they were going to be gods. And they find that they are human. And the gap between that, the gap between the expectation and the reality, between what they think they should be and what they find they actually are, that widens into a chasm that today we call, we know that chasm is shame. Right? Shame is the difference between what we think we should be and what we actually find we are. That's where shame comes from. And shame ruins Everything. Everything. It starts fracturing relationships immediately. The man and the woman are ripping down leaves to cover up their bodies and hide from each other. They jump behind the bushes when they hear God coming. God himself sacrifices animals to cover their shame. And it does get covered, but the damage is done. And the chasm is widening. Everything falls away from its created intent. 
That's why there are bombs being dropped on cities. It's why we feel isolated in our marriages. It's why we question God's existence and his goodness. It's why we yell and scream at each other. It's why people murder whole populations and steal their land. It's even why there are prickly weeds in our gardens. Everything from that moment is broken and it's spiraling further and further out of control, away from what it's supposed to be. But God has a plan. The mystery of his will, his plan for the fullness of time, is to gather up all things in Christ. In Jesus, through his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, God is enacting the ultimate plan to put everything right again. He's gathering everything up, everything that's broken and spinning out of control, everything that's hopeless and destroyed, gathering all things in Christ. It's a very good plan. So, that's what Paul wants us to know for sure as we hear the message of Ephesians. He asks us first to look up and see the cosmic reality in front of us. He asks us to understand our real identity in Christ. And he asks us to know that God's plan is to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth through Christ. It's good, right? Yeah. Thank you. But it's not terribly practical. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad to know it, but how does it help me live my life right now? Well, Ephesians is set up so that the first half or so of the book is about um, perspective and ideas. It's about our understanding of reality, our worldview from God's perspective. And then the second half of the book gets extremely practical, like really, really concrete. It's all about how we should live together. And we need both of those things. And so I want to encourage you now in May to keep up with this teaching series this summer. I know, I know, gardens and kids and trips and vacation, I get it. Golf and dirt biking, and I know, okay, I see, I see who's in my audience today. Okay, I know, but I want to encourage you to be here whenever you possibly can. And if you can't, to hear the podcast. Read the, read the scripture. Make notes in the booklet so you can look back and remember what we're learning. It matters that you're here. But for today, let me say this. It matters that we have this cosmic perspective and that we know our identity as the people of God and that we understand the plan to gather up all things in Christ because the whole of this plan for reconciliation is getting worked out in the here and now bubble. Remember that bubble from the very beginning? The whole plan is getting worked out in the very specific details of our lives together as a church today. That's what all the gifts are for. When you read through this text, there's so many gifts. Every spiritual blessing, grace, forgiveness, redemption, adoption, inheritance, the Holy Spirit, all of it. Those gifts are not so that you will be happier. They aren't. They're not so that you'll be richer, more satisfied, or peaceful. They're not. No, 
They are given so that we as a community of believers will have the power and the resources we need to live toward the created intent together. To live toward naked and unashamed. That's funny, you guys. Come on. No one take off their clothes in church. That's not what I mean. But over the next few weeks, we're going to be learning what our life together is supposed to look like. We are here in this time and place as a church for a reason. We are, we are living examples of the gathering up of all things. It's happening among us. Well, sometimes it is. Sometimes we just sit in the pew and zone out for an hour. Sometimes we never see people outside of Sunday morning. Or we decide to only talk to the three people who we really like because we're nervous about strangers. Or we skip the gathering altogether because it's so nice to sleep in. Or we drop out of teams because someone gets on our nerves. Right? Okay. And I say those things truly with no judgment. I have made a list out of my own life. I have literally done every single one of those things. It's normal. It's totally normal. It's just not what y'all are intended for. This letter, I'm pretty sure, is the message that we need to hear this summer. We need to grasp God's plan for the world, and we need to understand our identity and the role that we play so that we together can live a life worthy of the calling. Now, I am really delighted that we get to celebrate communion together in the first week of of our study in Ephesians. And so we're going to play a song during communion, which is called All Things Reconciled, and it's written out of Ephesians 2. We'll hear it a number of times over this series, but I just encourage you to, to listen. The words will be on the screen for you. And I hope that as you come to the table and remember Jesus' death and resurrection, that you'll be made more and more aware of belonging to this body, to this collective, and the role that we play in gathering up all things in Jesus. So can I have the servers, the communion servers, come forward? And while they're coming, um, I'll just say, so you guys can come forward and just make sure that the tables are where you want them. If they need to be moved out a little bit, that's fine. You can just adjust them. Uh, we practice a form of, inting- of communion called intinction, which just means that when you come forward, you're going to take the bread and dip it in the cup and then consume the elements. You're not going to drink from the cup. That's what it means. If you need a gluten-free bread, um, there's things set aside for that over here. So come to this line. I also want to say, um, I don't know what traditions you come from, but we understand this to be God's table that's open for all, so you are welcome. Um, all right, I'm going to move this down here. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to serve the servers, and then we'll serve everybody together. But we understand that Jesus asked us to do this to remember him. And so we're remembering him today. And we remember that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and gave it to his friends. And he said, take this and eat it, all of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup 
And he said, take this, all of you, and drink it. This is my blood that was shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. The body and the blood of Christ for you. Thank you. The body and the blood of Christ. The body and the blood of Christ for you. The body and the blood of Christ for you. Yeah, let's shift it out a little bit. I think that's right. (laughs) There we go. Okay. So, Father, would you bless this table and bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places as we come and receive your communion and remember you this morning. Amen. Friends, the table is open. Would you come?